How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to Nerdy 430, the podcast where comedian Tim Keck and I talk about nerdy-ish things for 30-ish minutes. My name is Kevin Bauer, and today we are talking about one. Uh, it continues our streak of talking about movies long after they've come out. We have not been topical for, I think, any of 2022 yet. Hell no. Uh, it's been at least a month between when any of these things have come out when we've talked about them. Uh, but you know what? This one just hit streaming. So I think there's an argument to be made that it's still kind of timely. It's not even streaming for free. Uh, it's Ghostbusters <laughs> Afterlife. I'm going to stop streaming along. We're going to go 30 minutes into this podcast without telling you what we're reviewing. <laughs> Ghostbusters sometime. That'd be fun. Afterlife. Yeah, just just start talking about it. I think it just you want to just get worse at podcasting is what you want to do. <laughs> Ideally, yeah. <laughs> I think we'll get there on our own. I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to work at it. I don't think we need to work. I want to slowly remove experience until we get to the point where, you know, five years from now, it's just dead air for 30 minutes. <laughs> I remember talking to people like when I first started doing stand up or when when they started first doing stand up where they're like, well, you know, I came up with this great joke. You know, if a joke doesn't hit or if somebody heckles me, you know, I've got a great zinger for that. You know, if something bombs then I've got a great line for that. And uh, they were like, cool. So I'm thinking about intentionally bombing so that I can say this funny thing oh and get God. them back. And I was like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> that'll that'll <laughs> that'll happen. <laughs> You don't have to worry about <laughs> struggling to get them back. You know, you'll you'll figure it out. The bombs. What's will sad come. about that is that the mentality—it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If that's what you're focused on, man, your act isn't good. There was another guy I remember who had like he's like, man, if I get heckled, I've got like the meanest zinger ready. And it was like an OK thing, but it was just kind of a mean thing to say. And he's like, I'm locked and loaded. And, you know, there's like different kinds of heckles. There's like drunk, happy, like, oh, I think I'm helping the show. I'm having a great time. But like, I'm just not aware oh, of no. how obnoxious I am heckles. And then there's malicious heckles. And he was locked and loaded for a malicious heckle. And he got a drunk, happy heckle and just like ripped this oh, person and like no. kind of hurt their feelings. And they were just kind of quiet after that and it was like oh okay well but but it was because he was in the mind space of like you know we're gonna fail so what i guess is a roundabout way of saying is don't mentally prepare yourself for this podcast to suck kevin it'll suck on its own <laughs> <laughs> kind of like ghostbusters afterlife <laughs> now ghostbusters afterlife is a movie that i was prepared to think was terrible. That yeah. is something where I went into this with the mentality of this movie is gonna fucking. I'm gonna hate it. What do you? What, what's your Ghostbusters fandom, Kevin? There's there's the first two movies, and then there's the girl reboot, and then there's this one. Do you care about the other movies? Yeah, I would say I would say pretty pretty strong fandom from over here. I'm a strong Ghostbusters fan. Love the original movie. I have seen the original movie so many times. It's disgusting. <laughs> I know that movie like the back of my hand. The script is incredible. I could go off for a while about why the script is so good. My big highlight, my biggest takeaway for the Ghostbusters script. Whenever you meet a character in the original Ghostbusters screenplay, they are doing exactly what they're going to be doing for the rest of the entire movie. It is amazing. Everybody starts with a thesis statement. It's beautiful. Work of art. Um, Ghostbusters 2 is not a good movie. It's something <laughs> that I enjoyed when I saw it for the first time when I was like 
nine, my dad showed my sister and I Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 when my mom was away at a work retreat. And it was something where she definitely thought we were too young for it. So it was when the cat is away, the mice will watch Ghostbusters and eat TV dinners. Um, and it scared the shit out of me, but I loved them. And I liked Ghostbusters 2 then, but I rewatched it after becoming obsessed with the original movie in adulthood. And it just... You know, it just it just doesn't hold up. There's something about the vibe of the world, though, Tim, that is still consistent. Where even though it doesn't have the tightness of the first movie, they're still locked in on that vibe. Um, notably, I'm thinking of like Venkman hosting the talk show on TV. Like that fits so well as an evolution of that character. And that talk show segment is so well done. It just, I don't know, it really has the spirit. The 2015 movie does not have that spirit. I think Paul Feig was... Not a good choice to direct that movie. I don't love Paul Feig as a director, I don't think, with the exception of maybe Bridesmaids. I think the cast was fucking awesome. Um, oh my God. I'm specifically, Kate McKinnon was so funny in that movie. Jesus. She's I amazing in that movie. She's amazing in general, but she's incredible in that movie. It, I mean, that's like, I feel like that's going to be an iconic role for her in a really unfortunately bad movie. Um, so based on that and based on the fact that Sony doesn't have a terrific track record with trying to turn things into big media properties, um, the fact that they launched all this stuff and they're like, yeah, we're going to have this new production imprint called ghost core. We're going to crank out a ghostbusters movie every year. Ghostbusters are coming back. We're taking the ghostbusters to the white house. I just was really prepared for this movie to be terrible. And here we are. It's a pretty good movie. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? I, I actually did enjoy it a lot. I think we both had similar. I'm guessing we both had similar uh, problems with the ending. But as far as the movie was concerned, I really liked it a lot. To go back to the 2015 version, I think, and maybe the first Ghostbusters, which maybe you're more well acquainted with than me. I feel like as a kid, I don't remember it being funny. And then rewatching it as a as like an older person, I'm like, oh, this is a funny movie. This is a com like Ghostbusters mm. is a comedy, but it's not like a bridesmaids comedy. And in 2015, they just go so hard on the comedy that it feels yeah. forced and they sacrifice all the other things that make the Ghostbusters awesome. You know, it really it felt like they just had Leslie Jones and Melissa McCarthy and uh, uh, what's her face? Who's the other one who's also great in other stuff? Just Kristen Wake. Kristen Wiig just riffing the whole time like there was no script they're just improvising the whole time like just trying to sling jokes and it's like that's cool that's funny in another context but that's not really what the Ghostbusters was in my opinion or at least what I remember the Ghostbusters being um, am I right about that am I wrong <clears throat> I think you're dead on the ghosts were the weak part of that movie all the stuff was just them being friends like Shooting the shit in the headquarters. Hilarious. All this stuff with uh, Chris Hemsworth as their assistant and like Melissa McCarthy trying to coach herself to stay away from him. Like <laughs> so funny. Uh, it's just also it's like, like you don't have to be funny all the time. You can just you can chill and in moments well, and like have a real story. I think uh, I guess it was, I, I just think, wasn't prepared for how intense it was comedically. But or I think that's it was. I think. I think that's what that one missed the mark on that this one did so well is that this one, when I talked about even those, the second movie 
Ghostbusters 2 um, is not as good as Ghostbusters 1. It does fit the vibe. The 2015 movie did not fit the vibe. This movie fits the vibe. Yes. Ghostbusters. Man, I can't fucking talk today. Ghostbusters Afterlife fully like fits the tone. It's a very slow burning movie. It's more about the moments rather than like outright jokes. Like most of the comedy in the first one just came from Bill Murray's, you know, kind of passive aggressive jibes. Is that a word? Right. Yeah. Like jibs, his jib jabs. Yeah. (laughs) But which Paul Rudd is like a pretty solid successor for, right? Like Bill Murray isn't cartoonish all the time. You know, he's mostly kind of like rye. He's kind of a straight, he is like a straight man for it. He's just kind of, he's just kind of ripping on things and making fun of stuff, which is like right in Paul Rudd's wheelhouse. He's a perfect addition to this. Uh, the comedy in this movie, I thought would just tonally reminded me of the first Ghostbusters way more. There were definitely funny moments in it. There was one (laughs) moment that I loved where, um, oh my God, I got to look up her name because she's McKenna Grace. McKenna Grace is amazing. I don't know if you've seen her in other stuff. She's a genius. She's yeah, she's Phoebe. And she's the little girl with the glasses. Who's like Egon's heir apparent. She's phenomenal. She's insane. Dude, She is so good lauren and i were talking about it the entire movie it's nuts is she really like 12 she's got to be what like 14 right i think she's like 15 now but she did like sabrina she did like that tv show sabrina and then she was in some show with some movie with uh chris evans called gifted that is one of my nominees for best trailer worst movie uh, which we should definitely oh explore at some point. We I feel like the trailer, that. the trailer for that movie was like, so I was just like, just hit me in the right place. And the movie was like, so not great. Uh, but she's great in it. She's just, she's just been a child. She's just a child star who's continuing to be a child star and has like a, a pretty deep filmography at this point. She's outraged. She's so talented. It's incredible. But That's there's nuts. I didn't realize she was in Sabrina. The scene. Wow where a podcast drops her off at the farm or whatever. And he starts videotaping her and she's like, Oh, why are you filming me or whatever? And he's like, in case you like die or whatever, in case a ghoul comes out and possesses your soul. And she's backlit by like all the graffiti. That's just spelling out like biblical apocalyptic writing. And it's just this like perfect, like long shot of her standing in front of the farm. (laughs) And she goes, Okay, well, I'll see you later. And then, like, turns around and walks away. I just, for some reason, that was, like, the funniest thing to me. And she, her delivery was so good on that, where it's just like, okay, well, bye. <laughs> like, her so, timing's nuts, dude. Uh, it was, like, she, incredible. I think that's the thing, though. Like, the moments, like, a funny moment like that. This is a, a new conjecture. I've never had this thought before now. I think a funny moment like that might be more endlessly rewatchable than an outright joke because an outright joke, you know, like here's the, um, like it's going to end with this little splash and there you go. But the funny moment you get to just kind of witness a character, it requires more acting. You get to witness a character process something and react to it. So, you know, that's the thing that Paul Rudd does this entire movie that, makes him shine so much and it's just so fucking funny it's like the, the whole running quality of like the office i was gonna say has like a similar vibe of yeah. like it's a lot of reaction stuff it's a lot of the jokes are like 
sold by everybody there. Like those moments. That's why like the office is so rewatchable because it's moments like that, I think. Oh, that's huge. And then it makes like the actual jokes that are present pop like because they're also completely in character. I mean, the best joke in the original Ghostbusters movie for my money is they go off on this whole like rant in the mayor's office where Walter Peck from the uh, EPA is trying to get the Ghostbusters shut down and they're arguing the Ghostbusters at one point Bill Murray calls him dickless and the mayor calms them all down and he's like hold on hold on <laughs> hold on is this true and Bill Murray just goes yes your honor this man has no dick it's incredible <laughs> it's like it fits his character so well it's such a well placed joke and we kind of get a moment like that in this movie where we have this through line of like McKenna Grace's character is trying to make new friends. She's trying to come out of her shell more when they get to this new place and uh, has started practicing jokes that just get progressively darker as the movie goes on. And they are so good. Yeah. It is such a fun contrast. Every time she started telling one, I was like, where the fuck is this going to go? Um, and then when Gozer shows up in the end and she's trying to distract Gozer by telling jokes, like just doing shtick in front of a god. I mean, how much more in the spirit of the original can you get? It is. It's a it's a trope as old as time all the way back to the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Uh, where you have to mm. where you do a dumb dance to to distract a god it's but it's totally what the ghostbusters was it's what i remember you know bill murray just like riffing until whatever they get their shit together so that that they could defeat a bad guy like i don't know you, tonally i thought it was awesome um absolutely kevin i'm a real sucker for uh this trope which is kids being adults and adults being kids where do you where do you stand on that? The beginning of the movie where where huh. you know the son fixes the car while the mom sits on the roof and watches the sunset, where she's like, Hey honey, can you just break into this house for me? And she the her daughter like takes out a lock picking kit and like like kids taking care of their mom is such a horrible I mean in real life it's a little bit of a toxic relationship right like a kids, little bit kids need parents not friends in most instances I would argue uh, but I think the ending of Casper taught us that <laughs> but on screen it's it's dynamite I'm addicted I love it it's my favorite it's my favorite kind of like familial relationship is is like the kid who's like you know too smart and like has a shit together and the parents who are like codependent on them you know wow i'd never thought about that as a trope i love that that's really succinct that's great i think it takes a special kind of actor to be able to pull that off in a charming way too which is again it's brilliant that they deployed carrie coon and uh paul rudd both of them like world class at playing carrie coon in the leftovers oh my god like amazing she will always I don't know be. anything about her honestly I guess oh, I need she to look plays, into it. I won't say too much. She plays um, a big character in the series, The Leftovers. I think that's the only other thing that I've really seen her in. Um, she was in Gone but Girl, just, but she wasn't the Gone Girl, so who cares? Huh. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. But yeah, it was, um, she just does a really good job playing a person that's just very realistically overwhelmed with life you know like fuck man i did so many chores today and still the end of the workday came and it was like oh god i gotta do more shit like 
there's more stuff I got to do. I've been keeping up with dishes and stuff all day. I've been taking out trash as I needed to. And then you still can't sit down. It's exhausting. There's no one to take that work unless you have kids. And Carrie Coon is taking <laughs> advantage of her situation. And I applaud her for it. She doesn't care about anything in a very charming way. I feel like where Paul Rudd's trying to talk about how science and she's just like, I don't care. I mean, there's kind of a running bit about like it's it's kind of a weak character development where she's just anti science because her dad liked science and his dad's her dad's not around. I mean, that's kind of that's a little uh, childish <laughs> writing to me, but I get it. Yeah. But the general attitude she displays towards science, she applies to other stuff. Like if it's not about my kids or my life, like I'm just trying to she's just she seems like her whole attitude is just like, I just I need to go. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> I can't I can't be here right now. Like I this is fine, but I have I have to leave. <laughs> it's it kind of you want to stay. Really I don't, I don't have any food. We don't have anything. But <laughs> you want a, a tour, I guess it's it's very funny. We don't really find out what happened to the kid's dad at all, but her behavior in this movie does kind of suggest that maybe he found out she was planning to take off in the middle of the night. And so he took off in the middle of the night before she could. And just like, God, fuck, I got got. And now she's got these kids. Yeah. Uh, maybe this is just the attitude you get after somebody just like abruptly leaves. It feels like somebody just abruptly left. That's kind of the the attitude she has. And the kind of the walls so that are up of indifference that her father left and now her husband left. Like, it seems like a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think that checks out. Let's talk about Egon Spengler as a bad dad. Uh, we are given the backstory on his character. And obviously, I mean, this movie, I would say, did extremely well uh, with handling the fact that Harold Ramis passed away before the movie was made. I, I mean, I think I'd argue that was the only goal of the movie <laughs> was to what is pay to tribute to Harold, Harold Ramis. They, that's the only reason I they mean, made the movie. It seems like it. The not to jump, a, <laughs> jump ahead, but the ending of the movie is so abrupt and it's just a tribute to Harold Raymond. Like, that's it. The whole movie was just a triple tribute to him, which is cool and touching, but narratively not satisfying in the way that I I was expecting it to be. You know, it's just, you know, it, it ended like the episode end of an ending of an episode of a television show when like a writer died or something like that. And so they linger on his favorite character and then fade to black. And then it says in memory of. You know, but what happened to the family? Do they go inside? Do they hang out? Do we get any more interactions with them? Do they stay in that town? Do they fix it up? Like what else? Like finish the story. Right. But Man, it turns out that I wasn't think, the story they're trying to tell. No, I think Sony was leaving it open ended because they are just going to keep trying Ghostbusters movies until one sticks that they can build a franchise on. I think they found it. Um, I think they're probably going to make another one with these characters. I hope they do. I thought it was great. Um, but I mean the the after credit scene with Ernie Hudson and setting up everything with like his business and all that. Honestly, man, the the stuff with the original Ghostbusters was probably the weakest part of this movie. When they showed up at the very end, I didn't want to see them. I didn't want <laughs> like them to come to the rescue. 
I wanted to see these characters that we'd grown to love and like we'd seen them struggle. We saw them fail at first. We saw them get better. And then I wanted to see them be able to pull off this victory on their own. But I don't know. The cameo we got from the original Ghostbusters kind of weak. But the movie is not about all the characters that we spent a lot of time with and, and learned to love. Right. The movie is about Harold Ramis. It's a tribute to him. It's about the original Ghostbusters. It's they make that very clear to us at the end of the movie, even though we've really grown to yeah. like all these people. And Mackenzie Grace is just crushing it constantly. And what's his face? That annoying kid from Stranger Things is doing an adequate job trying to keep up with everybody. Uh, and this podcast kid is just is great. I mean, he's he's a lot of fun. He's the net of this <laughs> the net of this series. He's just like <laughs> hanging out. He doesn't have to do any heavy lifting. He's just his name's podcast and he's cracking wise. <laughs> just they just picked a fun kid. You know, he's like an okay actor, but they're just like, ah, he's he's here for a good time, not a long time. Fucking love podcast. I'm all in, I'm all in on podcast. <laughs> Which I do hate. In in general, I hate the idea of a guy who goes by the name of podcast. That's fucking awful and miserable. Um I mean, it kind of works with this kid, though. You know, I my screen name was Mixer 2008 because I was like 2008 was the year I was going to graduate high school. And the idea of DJs seemed cool to me when I was 11. <laughs> and they still seem cool to you now. Oh, God, do they ever? I don't know how they do it. I I think. When did you know? Kevin, that the Ghostbusters were going to come back at the end because it didn't oh even God. cross my mind for a second that they weren't going to be there. I knew immediately they were going to be there. The second Dan Aykroyd picked up the phone, I was like, oh, we're getting everybody at the end for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. The one question that I had was, so they tried to get a Ghostbusters three made for decades, like could not get this thing made. Bill Murray wouldn't agree. Things would fall out at the last minute. It sounds like it was good that the third movie didn't get made. The premise was that like the Ghostbusters would go to hell, but hell would be New York City. Sounds very like ham handed and uh, probably a, a sequel that was for the best that we missed. But uh, one of the stipulations at one point was that Bill Murray had agreed to do the movie, but only if he got killed in the first five minutes and spent the rest of the movie as a ghost. <laughs> so that was my only question. I knew he was going to be there, but I was like, what if this whole death in the beginning, because they weren't showing Harold Ramis. I was like, what if it's not him? What if this entire thing is a ruse and it's going to be Bill Murray and he's just going to be there in ghost form for the rest of the movie? Um, obviously it wasn't the case, but whatever. I kind of knew that they were going to definitely show up at the end. Ghost Bill Murray is very cool. I've, I've read into some speculation about what the next few movies are, and it sounds like everybody's got ideas, but nothing set in stone. And I saw maybe it was Dan Aykroyd was floating the idea of them all being killed and just being ghosts, the tutor, the next generation of Ghostbusters or something like that, which sounds kind of fun. But, you know, I think the go I think use the people while they're alive, you know, <laughs> Why not? yeah, make the most of them while they're actually here. One of the things so speaking of that, yeah. Speaking of that, all of these movies that are reboots or sequels to 80s franchises, they all have that moment where the original person comes on screen and you think, oh my god, they're so old. Every single one has had it, you know, Star Wars. Um, one of the earliest ones, Indiana Jones. Like 
both of which Harrison Ford. Mostly it's been us looking at Harrison Ford and going, oh my God, he's so old. <laughs> oh um, my God. One of the most handsome men like, in the world is aging like a human being. This is terrifying. <laughs> it's, dude's it's, like dude's like 103 and he and he's he's running around pretending to shoot people with lasers. It's incredible. It's ridiculous. Um, this movie had one of the more pronounced ones of those that I've ever seen. When Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray showed up, I was like, wow, because, you know, Bill Murray, you see and stuff, you hear his voice and stuff. But this is one of the first times that I've seen him, I guess, in a while and really been like, damn, Bill Murray got really old. I think the very first time I noticed a distinct shift was between Zombieland 1 and Zombieland 2. Yeah, they did the post credit scene of Zombieland 2. It was like, oh, shit, man, like it's only been like 10 years, but it looks like it's been a, a long 10 years. And then in this, I was like, oh, no, Bill Murray. Let me tell you. He still fucking got it. He was on fire in the like three minutes he was on screen. Bill Murray is insane. He's so good. He's a master. He's incredible. He's he's untouchable. And again, like Zombieland 2, I think that's exactly what I was thinking. Like the end credits there, he has to fight some zombies. And it's so it's so sad to see how old he is. So I was expecting them to look decrepit. And I was pleasantly surprised how good they all looked in their uniforms you know, holding their whatever their guns and, and blasting zombies. I was pleasantly surprised at how, how well they did. Um, I mean, they get knocked up against a car at one point and Lauren was just like, oh, dead. Yeah, definitely. They're, They're dead. They're breaking hips. The They're car done. Like they, yeah, they can't take it. Yeah. I also think that was like the most believable stunt they could pull off. You know, younger actors are getting thrown <laughs> getting across the, the cornfield and these guys kind of like got gently, gently fell backwards onto a onto a car. <laughs> a stiff breeze blew, blew these senior citizens over the hood of this. By the way, shout out to Subaru. You guys are crushing it. You got the Outback in here. Mm. Everyone's driving. Everyone's driving a Subaru nowadays. I'm telling you, I don't know what's in the water, but it's. It's probably Subaru fluid or something because people are people are buying it up. I want a Subaru. Subaru sponsor Tim. 30 for 30. <laughs> Get us a Ghostbuster <laughs> style Subaru outback. That'd be incredible. Dude, if the new the new dude, I'm telling I'm calling it right now. The next Ghostbuster car is going to be a pimped out Subaru outback. It's got the same kind of wagon looking quality. It's it's perfect. <laughs> All wheel drive. What more do you need, baby? Sign me up. Who are you going to call? Subaru. I'm going to call Subaru and I'm going to buy one of their outstanding vehicles. Oh my God. There's going to be a villain that's like, it's going to be a tech startup that is trying to take on fighting ghosts. And we're going to get like an Elon Musk, but he's going to be working with the ghosts and his funded team of Ghostbusters is going to have a cyber truck. Yeah. They're going to be driving it's going Teslas. to be a cyber truck versus a Subaru and Elon Musk versus Bernie Sanders. And the Ghostbusters crew is going to be driving good old fashioned gas guzzlers, burning American gasoline, which creates American jobs that destroys the American environment. <laughs> oh, my God. Real American stuff. Let's get into some beefs and thieves before we close this out. Kevin, you got any uh, you got any beefs? Yeah. So, OK, I think we can agree that Marvel is at this point the absolute they're the goats of cameos. Like they've done so many of these character cameos. They know exactly how to pull them off. They know exactly how to make it rewarding, you know, when to come in, how to do the momentum, how much stuff they get to like get away with saying, how many Easter eggs they get to drop. 
Um, to me, that's the gold standard of how it works. Like they just have it down to a science. When the original Ghostbusters come in in this movie, it is so deflating. We are in the middle of a tense battle. It's basically like a, a war scene has broken out for the fate of the earth. Everything, people are getting thrown around, like winds blowing. There's a fucking tornado. People are getting turned into ghost dogs. Laser beams are shooting all over the place. There's tiny marshmallow men running around. Um, and then the original Ghostbusters show up and everything stops for a long time for them to get their lines out. And I know part of that is probably spacing it out because they expected audiences pre-pandemic to see this and go, holy fuck. Um, but in the absence of an audience, it just feels way too long. And they have like a few too many cheeky things that they do. I think you can get away with a maximum of two. They did like six before they just got on with their part of the fight scene. You can get all those things in there. Just don't do it in the first appearance, like space it out with a couple more things that people do. Like think about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield showing up in uh, No Way Home. They didn't blow their whole load at the beginning. I'm sorry, everyone listening. Uh, they like really held on to it. Kevin is graphically pantomiming blowing his load uh, on the Zoom call for me. See, I, I think they knew that the movie <laughs> was going to end. I think they knew that the movie was going to end incredibly abruptly after the fight scene. So they're like, oh, we have to get all of our stuff in now because there's not going to be time because the second we say goodbye to Harold Ramis, you know, that that's cut to black tribute to him. Who cares if we finish up, resolve the plot or the story or anything like that? It's over and we're just going to do some uh, post credit scenes. So maybe they felt the need to, to rush it in. I like the idea of them showing up at the end. I think it makes sense narratively. Maybe my biggest beef is just like, which I, I mean, they have to come up with a way to explain why Harold, Harold Ramis's character isn't there. Excuse me. And, but the idea of him going crazy and going to a farm and none of his friends who like have been his best friends for years, who started a business together with him and he's investigating a thing that their business is literally built on and none of them go and they all just let their friend hang out there and die by himself, like cold and alone in a, in a dirt farm is crazy. Like these sequels have this problem where, you know, Han Solo can't be happy. He has to be a tortured soul who's murdered by his son, right? Harold Ray, the Ghostbusters can't live happily ever after. I guess Bill Murray did with uh, Sigourney Weaver. Maybe that's, that's a little uh, post credits thing. So at least Bill Murray's happy, but everybody else is like sad and miserable, you know, by themselves. So, or at least Harold Ramis is. So I find that part a little frustrating. Um, But then at the end, narratively, it makes sense. Why couldn't he win? By himself, it's because he was doing it alone. He needed his friends, he needed his family. And so then you kind of come full circle at the end. The original three Ghostbusters show up, Harold Ramis shows up, the whole group is working together. It's a mixing of the generations. I found it narratively, it's it's very satisfying. I wish they'd given us a little bit oh, yeah. more after that, but it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense coming full circle uh for all that. Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, uh you're dead on it. Ray stance specifically Ray and Egon were ride or die in the original. It just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make sense that he would be detecting something that's that extreme and they wouldn't have any interest in it. And they wouldn't, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's 
it breaks Ray's character a little bit. And it also makes me think what you said about characters can't be happy in these sequels. I think the only time that I can think of where it was done really well that came to mind was go with me on this Avengers Endgame. When we do the time jump and we see Tony Stark in the future and he's got a great life. And his whole thing is that he doesn't want to go on this mission because his life is great now. And like, yes, he's suffered losses like anyone else, but he's picked up the pieces and he's in a really good place. So it makes it that much more tragic. It makes it that much more tense when he's out there and all of this greatness that we see from him is on the line. So I think it can be done. It just requires a little more, a little bit more zhuzhin, you know, you got to zhuzh it a little bit. You got to zhuzh you gotta judge it a bit. My uh, my other beef is why didn't the kids invent new gadgets? Right, I really wanted oh, them I think to. They're gonna. I think they're going to. I think this is an example of you know when you see the post credit scene and you see Ernie and he's like walking into the the firehouse. I'm like, I this had me at a little bit of like the oh that's the movie I want to see. You know, I want to see Ernie training a new team of Ghostbusters. You know, that's kind of the movie I want. It's cool. We got this kind of like farmland, whatever. Like this was fine. They're rediscovering this stuff. But you're telling me that the kid can't, you know, tweak a blaster or whatever and like turn into something else. And they can't modify the truck. They can't. They're running back the same. They find all this stuff from Egon. And then that's all the stuff they have the whole time. Like you can't do anything creative with it. Uh that so was kind of a I was a little bummed about that. I'm sure that's coming. I'm sure they've got more things. That was something the 2015 one did so well is like when Kate McKinnon pulls out like the two pistols and is just whipping ghosts all over the place. I was yeah. like, this is aw- this is what I want from a new Ghostbusters movie. Right. But they did kind of this like toned back like steampunk style like Ghostbusters remote control car. You've got like a gunner seat in the vehicle. Um I don't know. The gunner was seat was very cool. The gunner seat was super cool. Kevin, let's wrap this up. You know, thieves. Should we wrap it up on thieves? Yeah. I mean, McKenna Grace, biggest thief in the movie. Um, shit. She's such a good kid actor. It's wild. Um, overall, like. I think this movie served. Like I said, I think we'll get to all that stuff. I think this movie really served as a way for people who grew up with the original in the 80s. Uh, whose kids are now about Finn Wolfhard's age to see this movie with their kids and try to get their kids interested in this thing that they were really interested in. Like, I think this was a generational gap movie. And I think, I, I mean, I haven't talked to any Gen Z people about this, but I think it seems to have accomplished that really well. Like this seems like it struck a really nice balance between modern movies and those classic movies we remember so many movies in the past 10, 15 years have tried so hard, so aggressively to hit that like Steven Spielberg kid movie magic. Um, this movie didn't seem to be trying for that at all. And it managed to do it better than any of the other ones I've seen. So yeah, I, I think the tone, the vibe of this movie, big thief for me. How about you? Agreed. I was going to say Grace McKenna and the tone, the, the fact that it resonated in a way that the 2015 version just absolutely did not is a huge win. I think like they, it feels like they figured it out. You know, this isn't, this isn't supposed to be like a Paul Feig movie. This is supposed to be like a, a slightly more serious, more sarcastic. I feel like the ghostbusters are way more sarcastic. It's more tongue in cheek. 
it just tonally, they really nailed it. They nailed the comedy and they nailed, I mean, there's like an emotional core in this movie. That's, that's pretty transparent where it's, it's a pretty blatant tribute to the, the, for the remaining three guys to pay tribute to their friend. Right. So I don't know. That yeah. was, that was nice. I wish they'd given us a little bit more plot afterwards, but I'm excited. It, it got me excited for like another movie in a way that the 2015 one also did not do, but I'm excited for these cameos. I hope we get Ernie at the firehouse doing more stuff and I'll see the next one. I'm in on this. I didn't see this in the theaters, but I paid 20 bucks to download it. I'd encourage other people to do it. Check it out. And uh, it's a good movie, man. I enjoyed it. Oh yeah. It's a very good movie. One quick last thing. You know what I want to see? We're deep in multiverses and shit. Now we can make it happen. People won't bat an eyelash. I want to see the four Ghostbusters from the 2015 movie just dropped into this universe. Like I want to see the, this universe version of all four of them come together and bust ghosts because I want them to be able to do this kind of tone of a movie. I liked them a lot. I just wanted them to be in a better movie. Put them in this one. All of them could pull off, pull this off in a better movie. You know, maybe Leslie Jones isn't capable of it. Dude, I love Leslie Jones. I ride for Leslie Jones. Shout out Leslie Jones. I guess. Yeah. Can can she play subtle in any way? Is she capable of doing that? Absolutely. Uh, Maybe. We'll see. I'd be open to seeing it. I would love to see it. But all the rest of them are like very talented, proven actors, you know? So I would love Mm. to see. uh, Sure. Bring them all back. They could. I guess you're right. The, the, their story was written out in this one, essentially, right? Like they're not a part of this universe, mm-hmm. but yeah, sure. Do a weird, uh, do the Spidey verse, but, but bring it, bring back all the Ghostbusters. Very cool. Yeah. So that's the pod. Thank you guys so much for listening. Nerdy for 30 on everything. Like subscribe, all that good stuff. Five stars, five stars. Bye. <laughs> Stay nerdy, ending? everybody. Stay nerdy. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>